1: Hello and welcome to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Max Carlin, and I'm joined as always by Jake Rosen. Jake, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well today, Max. How are you? Uh,
1: I am all right. Well, actually, I'm, I'm excited because we finally have uh, the return of, of Mr. Prospect Development Web uh, to talk about developing prospects. Uh, PD, how you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Um, you know, it, it feels good to be off my band you know, uh, back on the airwaves. Um, my suspension has been lifted and let excited to talk about this draft.
1: Yeah. The to- the totally real, uh, PD shadow ban, uh, has been lifted. Um, all right, let's get into, uh, talking about developing the the prospects of the 2021 uh, NBA draft. Um, so we're starting with, uh, with some guys who need some skill slash tendency development. Uh, and we're just going to talk about, you know, how, how we go about, um, you know, trying to develop these players. Uh, so the first that we have is actually a pair. Uh, and we kind of teased this in the past with uh, Jayden Springer and Keon Johnson of Tennessee. PD, do you want to get into a little bit of the tendency that kind of pervades the entire Tennessee roster uh, as drivers and kind of what you would do with each of these guys to to start to address it?
3: Yeah, um, the, the Tennessee And I guess this is this is sort of an opposite of the Villanova style is that you recruit stronger guards, and when they are, I would say, less than a step uh, ahead of the defense, you have them like Villanova post up, which is where you half spin, uh, and your guards can either change directions or just go into a straight up post up. Um, It is certainly a style to stabilize offensive possessions. Um, It pretty much ensures that your guards will never be rushed into decisions. It will. Uh, you know, make sure that there's crackbacks to shooters on the weak side, um, and it can make possessions very groggy feeling, where you'll have like a sort of drive where under any other system, a floater would go up or or a finish under pressure. Um, the two things that, that show up most when you look up the stats is, is that neither has the volume of finishes possible, um, because so many of them have been aborted into this, this Villanova-style post-up. Um, and then the second one is the ones that they do take are a lot simpler so it can be difficult to judge the quality of finish within because there's a a uh, a triage of type of finishes that it's not really allowed to take because of the system um both are two foot finishers so like that's sort of the question where it's like how good of a finisher are you in the half court and the system removes that possibility from the top um i've i've liked uh springer as a finisher much better than than Keon um, i thought that Keon's true shooting percentage while it was uh not good at at Tennessee, um had a had a floor that was much lower and the system in, in a lot of ways uh prevented him from having to make magic out of nowhere. Um I think that it also hurts both of them as just like free throw tanks, something that I thought that was an untapped potential. Again, like those those half steps will bear difficult for coaches to to trust with you with one and done college freshmen. Um those are also circumstances where a lot of fouls would happen. So you lose a little bit in the efficiency, but you also, or you, you gain something in the efficiency, but you lose some in the foul drawing. Um, I think that it's a matter of patience. I think the development is um, is to get a floater, is to get stop, start finishes, um, is to, to add craft. Um, I don't think that there's a distress for me among either one of them. Um, I'm always curious how guards handle being in the system for one year with the Villanova guys. They don't generally recruit. You know, one and done guards. Um, if anything, it's wings. Um, so, how much of this they'll they'll take and sort of turn into tricks in their pocket, and how much uh, is sort of just cast aside is interesting. Uh, I think Keon is more likely to keep it than um, than Springer is. But it's it's certainly an interesting trial for a type of guard that I think uh, is going to be more present as Tennessee uh, levels up in its ability to to recruit guys like Springer and Keon.
1: Yeah, I think this this really fits in line with what we talked about with with Henry Ward a while ago about um, you know context kind of obscuring actual ability. Um, and this is I, I don't like I don't even know if this is is negative or positive in the case of Jaden and Keon. Just that it certainly obscures their true finishing ability. Their you know how they navigate that interior area and. At the college level, I think certainly, like even like well suited to their skills, particularly Jaden. Um, but yeah, it, it does it does obscure the, the the true ability on the interior. So I, I mean, PD, how would you go about uh, developing the floater game, developing the craft finishes, um, you de- just developing the the maneuverability on the interior for these guys after this year of of defaulting to these po- the Villanova style post ups.
4: The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online your online sportsbook experts?
3: I think attempts. Um, I think that I would try to punish them as much as possible for doing them in uh, in practices and in summer league. Um, coming from a system where both of them hovered at 40% assisted, which is pretty unheard of for two guard, two guard prospects who can put overwhelming pressure on the rim. Um, I would just say that they need, um, especially, I would say, especially Springer needs to have the uh, extension finish off to down pat because he's more likely to to be hip to hip with a with a half step or a quarter step and needing to extend as horizontally as possible. Um, similar to the adaptation that Donovan Mitchell made um, in his pre-draft section. Obviously, that was uh, a finishing leap, pretty much unlike anything we've ever seen before. But that finishing package is is essential for him, um, and I think that. He has the free throw tank ability. It's just combining the ability to get horizontal with that, and just changing his approach to say, like, look, you're going to have to get to the lower rim, and wherever, whoever drafts him, um, whatever outcome that may be, um, from the 20s that he's currently seen by some people to you know the the high single digits from people like me, um, his his ability to create and hold advantage is going to be essential for him turning into uh, an important player in the future.
5: Do, for for Springer in
1: particular, do you think do you view it as like a necessity to to excise these the post ups from his game, or do you think that it's something that he can still incorporate in there?
3: Um, I would excise the like the percentage that he does the Villanova post up, but I would love to invert offense. Um, I think that if you have a a big who can shoot, inverting your offense to get. Springer mismatched on on skinnier ones or skinnier twos. Um, the defensive stock of twos is really really thin. There's just not a lot of guys who can uh, who can hold up physically at that spot in the league right now, and it's been a weakness of the league for I would say uh, six or seven years now, if not longer. Um, and if you can invert an offense and, and get him with his butt to the basket, um, he can certainly operate there. I think that those skills have have proven to be interesting in both playoff and uh, um, and a winning contexts. Um, and smart coaches have have proven the ability to to invert their offense. I just don't necessarily think that you can build an offense around the percentage of Villanova post-ups that they've had as an on-ball creator.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to chime in real quick because Max kind of took the question out of my mouth and PDU kind of took the words out of my mouth. I thought it was really interesting. And I do agree that, you know, Keon in the long-term is more likely to rely on these post-ups at a higher volume because, I personally believe in Springer's handle and his ability to get to spots more free, like more often and more reliably than Keon. But I do think in the long run, as you mentioned, like inverting the offense, you know, one of spring Springer's calling cards is his overwhelming positional strength. That's only going to increase as he, you know, he's already young for his age and is moving guys off spots, moving wings, guards, bigger guards off spots. And I think, you know, as he continues to add strength, I think that could be an asset for him. He's very, already really comfortable in the mid range does have good touch on those like little six foot jumpers that he seems to love. So I do think like, while I agree with you and hundred percent and behind it that I think like the frequency and the volume should probably be cut down. I do think it's still going to be an effective Avenue for him at the next level.
1: The next topic that we had to discuss was, um, was footwork uh, in this case. um Pertaining to Joe Wees camp, uh, but we talked. We talked about this a lot in the past as well. With especially with Killian Hayes, how I, th- I think PD like a a, a big. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a big portion of what had to be cleaned up for Killian, particularly as a catch and shoot shooter, was the footwork, the setup there, and you know when when he had that rhythm introduced off the dribble, he was much more comfortable shooting. But you know it's it's just kind of a mess uh, off the catch and, and I, the, you know, the early, uh, run of games that he played before he got hurt this year. I, from what I remember, the, the footwork off the catch was still a, a bit of a disaster and he was, he was not able to make those shots. So, um, you know, to correct someone like Killian's footwork, uh, to correct someone like, like Wieskamp, who it like doesn't have poor footwork. I think he's just kind of inefficient, um, setting shots up at times. Uh, and and can sort of sacrifice windows to shoot there especially for a guy who's not necessarily a bomber uh, who can be a bit hesitant with tight windows so um so PD, what what are you doing to to address footwork on these guys where uh, you know there where there's a lot to be gained from from just cleaning that one aspect up?
3: um so when you say footwork is there a specific uh... Is there a specific circumstance you feel like he loses out on most? Is there a specific footwork cadence that, that you've noticed most with him?
1: Um, Not particularly, I don't think. Um, although I, I was, I've been thinking like kind of recently about, um, again, from last year's class, uh, Aaron Neesmith, who obviously was a really accomplished movement shooter last year, but I do think is pretty restricted in the like setups that he's comfortable with, that he wants to, use like that flare footwork where you open up backwards. Um, and that's kind of the only way he's comfortable shooting off movement and like we, the, those, I think those, those like very nuanced differences need to be sussed out because it, it does like severely limit kind of like the actual actions that you can be involved in. Um, which is just, a, you know, an entirely different tangent from this, but, um, yeah, sorry. Back back to the 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 issue of of, of like correcting these things. Um, we, how how are we going about doing that?
3: I, I think that that Smith and, and that tangent are actually really relevant because with the times that I like we Scamp the most is when he's operating out of like these sort of like floppy setups where you know you have two bigs low and he's sprinting away from the basket. I thought that his footwork there was very simple and he was good at mm. at, at cutting his steps down which is to say like, you know, taking long strides and making sure that your feet are underneath you and you catch the ball on balance. And then the rest of it was also like messy, like in those circumstances, which are also like what Iowa runs the most and their playbook isn't necessarily one that gives him five or six different catch approaches. It was usually that or a shake. Like he was either catching it with negative momentum where he had to uh, execute these pretty difficult, hip motivated, um, long stride motivated um, turns, or he was like simply sliding along. Um, the thing that struck me the most in, in watching his, his footwork patterns is that, like, he gets into those settings pretty well. Like, he can catch and get square and get his uh, legs underneath him and be on balance. But he gets out of those so messy. Like, his first step, uh, even with people flying at him, just doesn't get anywhere. Uh, and I think that the most important thing for him at the next level is is figuring out how to do damage with one step. Because that's enough time for an NBA team to to reset a rotation. So whether that's uh, developing um, developing his hips to be able to sidestep and pull, um, whether that's working on um, on on his glutes and exploding forward better step, I worry that teams aren't going are just going to run him off the line and live with whatever else happens. Like part of why Joe Joe and Glace works so well is that uh, Joe is very good at making decisions in that half space in a way that like Wieskamp to me is not. Um, so by tightening up the footwork, it can uh, reduce his exposure to the elements that he's not as strong with. Um, that being said, like when teams did run him off the line and make him shoot uh, in in the short distance, like he only got 10 of those shots up last year and he was poor doing so uh, according to, to Synergy's grading stats. So it's, it's worth noting that while his shooting grades do look fantastic, uh, in catch and shoot, and and also a little bit off the off the bounce when he's pushed into the areas that teams that NBA teams will force him to. Those were his weakest areas, um, and that should I would say I don't say temper expectations, but realize that he's not going to be able to get the quality of look, and the book will be out much faster than what happened uh, in college.
1: Yeah, for I mean, at what point in a guy's career do you think that developing these these different setups, and then and then I mean in in week camps can't uh case like these i guess like footwork counters or progressions at what point do you think that that is um is no longer doable uh or alternatively if you do think that it that it like remains doable how, how do you go about doing that
3: i mean it's a confluence of factors um having having secondary or tertiary skills that that complement the rotations and coverages that you're going to get is easier so, like, I think that there's always going to be a a difficulty in in building a small-sided game that uh, that will make him a great passer. But the ability to handle well in those circumstances, the ability to be calm under pressure under those circumstances, makes that transition much easier. Um, it helps that he's not going to be asked to do a lot in those circumstances. Like, he his only reads in his rookie contract are going to be reading closeouts and uh, trying to to create as much as possible out of them, whether it's continuing the, the rotation or knocking down the shot. I think that, um, you know, the the physical development, the the cleaning up of the varieties of footwork and um, getting comfortable uh, reading a four on five after, after a hard closeout are the essential bits. And those are things that the NBA, I feel like, has gotten pretty good at solving, or at least figuring out when to cut bait on guys who can't quite do it.
1: Jake, anything to add before we move on to Ariel Huckporty?
2: No, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Weez camp this year, so I'm a little bit less familiar with, you know, the specific instances in which he excels and the specific instances in which he needs work. But I was what I was in, intrigued with is your question, Max, is, you know, how how feasible is this? Uh, we saw with Killian, and with Killian, something that I was really intrigued with last year, and which made me buy the catch and shoot is that his off the bounce footwork was so potent. You know, he would bring out these hardened step backs, the double setback sidesteps. He kind of had everything in his bag and the footwork and balance was so impressive and so mature beyond his years. Yet then when you got to the catch and shoot stuff, like you said, it was an absolute disaster. So one question I would have for PD is what would kind of explain that and is excelling in one does that have any correlation in future progression with the other is kind of what I'm getting at.
3: I think the second question is easier to answer. And it's that we think of them as related skills, but they're different processes. Like, um, you know, there are a ton of guys who are great catch and shoot guys who cannot shoot off the dribble and vice versa. And part of it is is how you're, you know, how you're wired. It's related to, you know, how you're, uh, how your underlying shooting skills, your hand-eye coordination, your proprioception, like these things that make up the process of shooting, how developed they are, and that people are generally more or less suited to certain aspects of basketball, even within this subset of uh, of basketball players. Um, so I think that you're going to have some uh, uphill climb to get guys who are like great catch and shoot guys, but can't shoot like off the dribble um, into being passable uh, shooters off the dribble. That being said, like, I do think it's feasible. Like, I do think that you can do these things. And again, it's just finding the underlying skills to ease the burden on, you know, instead of making them a great shooter off the dribble, it's like, are you enough of a threat off the dribble that defenses have to rotate a certain way? Because if you're a good enough passer, then you can punish that rotation. Or if you're bad at two skills that are being presented at once, then like, you, there's just, that's a hard place to stick in the league, being bad at simultaneous skills that are presented by defense.
1: Can, can you get to like specific setups that mimic? the one that you're good at enough to like basically trick your brain and body into thinking that you're either shooting off the dribble or shooting off the catch when you're really doing the other, like, are there, are there, you know, like one dribble pull-up styles that are similar enough to shooting a spot up that you really are just mimicking that whole process?
2: So Max, before P. D. answers, if I could just say a quick nugget real quick as you just triggered something in my mind. With Kispert, this is something that I think is really interesting. When guys are pulling up, it's most common to, to see like this one two hang dribble. A lot of Davion Mitchell hit a bunch yesterday. It allows for just a smooth energy transformation and rhythm. But Kispert is really interesting because off the bounce, he'll go to the hop very frequently, which is a little bit unusual. But as we know from watching all his movement attempts and catch and shoot attempts, he is much more comfortable. He'll show the one two occasionally, but he is much more comfortable with that hop. So I like I know you're presenting a hypothetical, but I just did want to point out that Kispert is someone in this class, a high level shooter that does. I'm not sure if he's doing that intentionally, but I think it is probably worth noting that he is more comfortable off the hop. And then it's interesting that he takes a somewhat unorthodox approach off the bounce and has gotten pretty good results
3: so far. That was, that was exactly what I was going to reference guys who, have a specific gather style and mimic it off the bounce even if it's a sacrifice of some of the quickness like the the hop off the bounce is a little bit slower but if you can turn your release to be faster and you are that much more comfortable the percentages do play out on a long enough timeline uh, with enough work so i think that there are tweaks that you can make to certain types of shooters like guys who are really big left right and uh, are left right going right and that's their most comfortable way like won't ever drive left there are certain adjustments that can be made. And if, if that's a successful enough percentage play and an offense is, is good enough doing so, and a guy can, can pass good enough off his right, um, then the offense will just make it so that he is always spaced that he doesn't have to go left to continue things. Um, I know this was uh, a problem that was discussed a lot with the Knicks where like if RJ couldn't pass going to his right, how feasible is it to draft another lefty into the system? Um, which is like, again, a, a pretty deep concern. Um, but it is uh, adjustments that can be made if guys do have a specific problem with uh, the way that they approach and and the connecting skills when uh, when they run off the line.
1: Yeah, I think a curious theme that's kind of emerging here, though, is that we're not really presenting any solutions to, like directly to addressing things like footwork concerns. It's all workarounds, right? Like it's all um, you know, get better in this other area that can cover for it, like read the five on four better, Um, you know, it's, it's all workarounds rather than, you know, concrete ways to just, you know, improve on, on the actual
3: issue. I think that, I think that it is difficult to present a lot of fixes uh, with, with draft prospects because you don't necessarily know what their program is doing right now. So like, without the knowledge of um, of what Wieskamp was doing at, at iowa what he's doing in his off seasons what he's done in high school it's really difficult to propose solutions because the solution could be the thing that he's adopted for this uh this pre-draft um i i think that a lot of it uh is is obviously based on what happened prior because sometimes guys will do things that just don't make any sense at, at their previous stop and they get somebody who uh maybe is a little more attuned to, to current uh development methods and suddenly they have a huge leap um, that's certainly happened before, and it's difficult without seeing clips of, of Iowa practices or, or a historical observation. Um, it's more of a shot in the dark and about my philosophy than what's actually going on with him.
1: Yeah, no, that, that certainly makes sense. Uh, PD, do you want to get into the the weird pre-draft year that Ariel Huckporty is having?
3: Yeah, um, this is uh, this is going to be uh, some crow that I'm eating uh, on, on Ariel Party. Uh, because I've, uh, for a long time, said it's really important to give centers uh, as much volume of playmaking as they can handle and, and to try to give them different pathways of development. Eric um, Hockporty is is a center-sized human being and a very large center size. Um, and he was used in a way that I think uh, every draftnik would have liked Kai Jones to be used. Um, and it didn't go well. Um, I would say with like this is, the, this is the the double-edged sword of, uh, of center responsibility is that you want to add additional skills onto them but you also don't want them to fall in love with additional skills because they can alter how they see their archetype um, and suddenly they're not you know a seven foot center they're a seven foot two guard um not that that's what's going on with 40 but it's, it's difficult to watch his games and think that he's going to be immediately comfortable going into like mitchell robinson's role Um, And doing this specifically in a draft year where teams look at, you know, some of these percentages and some of uh, his output, like it's not normal for a a player his size at the level he's playing at to have a 43 true shooting percentage um, or a a 25% free throw attempt rate. But that's what you have to evaluate on is this is a both a developmental year and an evaluative year. And that that makes for a very odd combination for a player who has always seemed to be a project um i i think that this is probably net positive long term unless he goes to a bad situation then this is gonna feel uh you know like uh like a prelude to something worse i don't really have a, a takeaway from it but just a note of how uh delicate these uh you know bigs with tools who could potentially have more are and you know we've seen four or five guys who had strange pre-draft years and Mr. robinson is certainly one of them um, and how difficult it is to suss out the noise from the signal on them.
1: Yeah, I haven't watched much Hook Forty yet this year, but um, I mean, listening to, to your description of it, a, a couple of things, like a, a couple of real takeaways do come to mind, though. That, one, I don't think that you have to totally punt on your give skilled bigs as much uh, as they can possibly handle, because it sounds like Hook Forty to an extent was definitely given more than he could handle. Um, it all It also makes me think that like this would be good if development and evaluation in uh young basketball players weren't s- so intertwined that like if you if you could with no stakes give this this situation developmentally to a big then i don't know that unambiguously it would be good because of what you said that you know the effects on on self-awareness and understanding of role uh you know could definitely be there but getting people reps um, you know, with certain aspects of skill and, and also just in different roles and seeing, seeing the court in different ways in different places is, is definitely valuable. It's just the problem is that that then becomes the evaluation. This thing that should like almost be a behind closed doors experiment becomes the entire subject of the evaluation. And then that is deeply intertwined with the, f- the future resources that are going to be expended on this player.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I would I would add, again, like Max, I haven't watched a ton of him specifically. I usually dive into the international guys after the college season. But what I will ask you, PD, is at some point with these bigs, they're getting thrown into situations that they're not typically accustomed to. So it's kind of like there's going to be some bad reps eventually. Do you think, and I know this is why I'm I'm actually signing with Max, I actually don't think you have to fully eat curl on this because my counter would be, what if he was getting these reps when he was 14 and 15 for the first time instead of when he was 19 so then when we get to the stage that max is talking about in the pre-draft year where the evaluation is intertwined with the development he is a little bit more seasoned and comfortable making these roles it, i mean making these decisions within the role and it's not just getting thrown into the fire for the first time
1: but it's always sense. it's always intertwined though because because you know if you're 14 or 15 and doing this and and at the same time, like there are all these biases that, um, that, you know, favor bigs who demonstrate skill at a young age, even if they're not necessarily effective with that, with that skill. Um, like it is still intertwined because if you're, if you're, you know, if you're 15 and, and doing this and it's, and it's not, um, you know, it's not necessarily effective, it still could affect the, the, uh, You know, the resources that are allocated toward developing you in the future, because you're kind of I mean, you know, as a basketball prospect, I don't know how young it starts, but it it starts really, really young. I mean, we've had we've had PD on on this podcast in the past talking about like literal 12 year olds. (laughs) It it starts super young.
2: And so, I mean, I don't fully disagree with you 100 percent a random example let's say a 16 year old's at an au tournament and he's trying to make short rule passes and three of them are turnovers like you said that's going to limit the offers and the resources so and that is ultimately this is probably like the toughest thing i've had to battle with like as an evaluator watching basketball from a developmental standpoint and an evaluative standpoint i would love moses moody to run 15 pick and rolls for arkansas in a game but Arkansas wants to win, and they want to win that national championship. And that's not necessarily – that might not be feasible for their aspiration. So this kind of is like the million-dollar question of how can we make this – and I don't have an answer for it, and I don't know if anyone does. Like you were saying, Max, it's sort of this – what should be happening behind closed doors in practices, but then kind of just gets shoved out onto the stage, and then we kind of all have to deal with it and evaluate and make – conclusions from it and i don't really know where to go with it honestly
3: yeah i mean it's it's that this theory, like developing big men is messy and the later that you try that that uh, a team or you know or you know agent or you know uh, the player themselves tries to tack on skills the messier it's going to be because the talent gap is smaller like uh you know Part, like we all watched the Evan Mobley senior year in high school experience and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like this is uh certainly not what I saw from him as a junior, not what we saw from him as a sophomore. But like some of those skills transferred. Like he yes, he mostly spent a year just trying to highball uh blocks and like it it transferred to the next level, but like the rest of the stuff didn't. Like the the you know, the sub standard rotations, the games were didn't feel like he was uh, leaving as much of an imprint. Um I don't think that there's necessarily a solution for, like, when is the best time to experiment? Is it, you know, when everything's certain? Um, or is it, you know, when you're in a draft year? I just think that it is uh, something that has to be seriously considered is, uh, you know, we all want the BAMs of the world, but, like, the, the process of making BAMs is extraordinarily messy from a applied development perspective, and at a certain point, if a guy is really trying to do those things in practice you have to let them him do them in a game um if only for the uh the the different uh approaches that that opponents will throw versus teammates um so yeah it's it's just a thing that has jumped out to me partially because the, the stats are so bad and partially because like you know like rubenov says he, he's getting used like he's siakam but you know in reality he's uh he's closer to, to just you know a big man which is you know there's nothing wrong with that it's just not something you usually see because so much of how I think the American college system works is that you show your strengths and the promise that like some of your weaknesses will be solved, similar to Moses Moody, um, where Huck Party seems to have taken the opposite approach of, of saying, like, everyone knows my strengths. So why don't I try these new things in my, in my draftable year and see how that plays out? It's interesting.
4: The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mobley is a worthwhile example because he probably, like, managed this perfectly in that he had already established himself as an elite prospect. He, you know, it, it like was a, was a highly prized recruit who already had his, um, you know, his destination chosen and yeah, his senior year, he, his engagement level was generally not very high and he kind of just tried stuff. Um, and like PD mentioned, some of some of the good stuff translated and very little of the bad stuff translated, but very few people, very few prospects find themselves, in the position of evan
3: mobley or is talented like or perhaps, is- yeah like mobley can try so much more than basically everybody else because his talents are are pretty limitless from a, a comparative perspective but like say so like your average like mid-major big who needs to have this process as well of like they're not going to be shack even at a mid-major level but they need to tack on skills like when is the point where they start experimenting is it you know once they've started once they've signed like, is it once they've you know gone through the UIBL games that matter? That's such a, uh, a fraught process for people who are not as talented as Evan Mobley. And the fact that like we all, I, I mean, I can speak for myself and Max cause it's on tape saying this, but like, we are all like, man, I have no idea what to do with the senior year. And like, we openly mm-hmm. doubted like what this was supposed to be, because that could easily have been the story of like guy, you know, kind of gets bored doing the things that he's extremely good at.
1: Yeah. It was, it was really confusing. And that's for a guy who previously had demonstrated to be an exceptional player. Um, and like you said, is like was uniquely positioned in terms of what he had to fall back on and just like his physical and mental capability, I think to actually gain from that experience at that age, because he is such a like uniquely physically and intellectually talented guy. Um, so yeah, it's not, I don't think that the Evan Mobley model is really replicable for anyone except for, you know maybe one or two guys a year um and that's probably pretty generous um but yeah doing doing the the attempt at like throwing stuff at the wall uh to figure out if you can develop these skills in your draft year is tough um and and it's just it's really it's tough to know where you go from there because with mobile it was tough to know where we went from there and that was you're starting from a from a much more confident point.
2: Yeah, and I would definitely agree that it is only, that route is only serviceable for one, at max, two guys per year, especially when we're talking about non-guards. And I will just throw in his name because I feel like I'm obligated to. I think it's worth noting that Paulo Boncero is basically taking that route in his senior year from the film that I've seen to... It's not, he's not necessarily suffering from the disengagement that Mobley is suffering from, but he is basically, I guess he's taking the approach of look, everyone can know, everyone knows I can play the low man, I can be a weak side and even primary rim protector at times. I can do all the big man stuff, I can operate as the roller. So in the games I've seen this year and with Seattle Rotary, he's just kind of taking the Paul George role on offense and is running pick and rolls, is experimenting with different footworks and rhythms as a pull-up shooter and it's been pretty mesmerizing to watch honestly and i'm really intrigued to see how much of it carries over to duke in that context and how much of the guard wingy stuff he's enabled to do there and how that ties into his game as a prototypical four or five
1: i really want to watch high school basketball again i need to do that uh, because it's it's the best it's
3: it's the best basketball
1: um, do you guys want to talk about shooting now or in part two?
3: I would love to do it now just because, uh, I know the name we're going to talk about and I'm very excited to. All right, let's do it now. Let's
1: start with, uh, Kessler Edwards, uh, Pepperdine forward. Uh, he's a weird shooter. <laughs> PD, what do we, what do we think is, is going on there? Uh, because like he's an effective shooter, but I think it's really apparent immediately that he's a weird shooter.
3: Yeah, so um, I can generally figure out how much draft film people have been watching based on their reaction to Kessler Edwards. If they are like, yeah, I don't know about this, guys. like Because it, it looks very strange. Um, I would say in, in terms of technical, uh, he has a big dip. He doesn't really involve his hips, and he shoots out. Um, it leads to this sort of like jangly leggedness that he like he seems like he's falling over quite a bit there's you know questions about the utility um in terms of like can he shoot them off the dribble i mean he, he, it's a quick release in terms of how long it takes to get out of his hands but like people who just see it for the first time are like yeah i don't know if this is going to transfer to the league an authoritative list of players who were drafted in the first round who are taller than six foot six hit 38 percent of their threes and took at least 350 in college Tell me the non-shooter in this group, or questionable shooter. Doug McDermott, Luke Kennard, Sauce Castillo, Cal Bridges, Cam Johnson, Desmond Bain, Clay Thompson, Dylan Windler, Reggie Bullock, and Tony Snell.
1: Those would all be pretty reliable shooters, I would say. I mean, Sauce or Snell is is the worst of that group, which is, you know,
3: still pretty good. Pretty good, and, and like Sauce had like the the mental thing that happened, where right? I don't think he mm. was really like wired to to stand in a corner and make, you know, that that one shot that that, that they needed. And Snell, quietly, is an extremely good shooter. If you look at the mm. uh, the uh, the historical numbers, um, it just doesn't feel that way. That being said, like if you do any kind of historic bathing, backing and run his numbers across, you know, people of a certain size. Who have taken a certain amount, like it's it's basically an ironclad list. Um, if you're worrying about changing it, you're worried you're you're altering a shooter's form because you don't like the way it looks. Um, and at a certain point, there's not an additional point or uh, added or a subsequent point taken away for good-looking jumper. It just goes in. Um, these are the same sort of people who would have uh, made adjustments to Kevin Martin's jumper, um, which looked how it looked, but the thing went through the net.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're confident in Kessler Edwards as a shooter, which it, it certainly looks like historically, we probably should be, um, how worried are you that someone is going to be baited into trying to change it? I mean, I feel like we've seen that with with at least one of these guys on your list in, in detail, and, there, I, and I and I do remember seeing um, concern to over over like desmond bain i think that that was that was a concern that some people raised that you know even though it was 40 whatever percent on whatever sample over four years that there was some some concern raised over like i just with 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 someone who is a good shooter but an unorthodox one it it has to be i think a real developmental hurdle potentially that someone could be baited into into trying to change it
3: uh i mean the fact that people talked about changing Bain's jumper, despite the fact that he shot forty-three percent over his college career, um it is pretty nuts to me. Um and like I think it's just a matter of of sitting down with the team and the uh pre-draft person just being like, this is a thing that is not on the table during this like during this process. There are guys who say, like, I'm not willing to change, you know, this thing that I do or that thing that I do. Um, and I would strongly suggest that that the people are, I guess I would say like the, the jumper is a non-negotiable because uh Yeah, it goes. And I think that a team that is willing to draft him in the first round, I would assume gets that. And it's just going to be like, look, I don't particularly love the way it looks like guards on the table. Uh, But if it goes like that's not particularly important to me, like you're getting it. If Kessler Edwards had a normal looking jumper, he would be like a guaranteed top 20 guy most likely.
2: Yeah, so I, this is actually perfect timing because I have, was having this exact conversation with someone yesterday. Uh, here are some Kessler Edwards shooting numbers for you over the past three years. So we'll go totals on 383 point attempts. He is shooting thirty-nine and a, 39.5%. From the free throw line on 280 attempts, he's shooting 79%. And look the only way to kind of go about this in my opinion is if it ain't broke don't fix it and that is certainly not broke and it's not like he's one thing that i think needs to be talked about here is how he's getting these jumpers and his usage as a shooter there is versatility he's comfortable off movement there have been some pull-up flashes as you mentioned pd it's somewhat of a quick trigger off the bounce but yeah i I agree with you this is something i'm not really worried about concerning I'm, i'm not worried about changing but it is a worthwhile concern with max brought up we've seen i don't really know if we've even got to the bottom of the Vassell video that surfaced last year but we've all seen what happened with mikhail and player development staffs and nba people and trainers love to put their own imprint on things. And we, we definitely know that. So while I'm not personally concerned about it and I wouldn't touch it because the results are there and it's not like we're talking about a non-shooter, even a mediocre shooter. Kessler has been a very good shooter for someone his size and he has been for three years. So it's not something that I would necessarily touch, but I do think it's a worthwhile concern that Max brought to the table that look, someone else could be thinking that, Hey, if I can change X, Y, Z, he could be at forty-two percent. And in reality, I personally think that gamble isn't worth it at all. But it is likely on the table.
1: Yeah, I just worry a lot when, generally speaking, about um, you know, like biases, like in- infecting development. I guess, um, and I think that like jump shot aesthetics have pretty clearly proven to be a, a pitfall at times. Um, and so, yeah, like more so than anything else you want, you want a guy who like undeniably is, is a really good shooter, but even when you have that in, in Desmond Bain, like there will be people who, who point to the unorthodox aesthetics of it, uh, and raise some concern over it. And, and you, I think you just have to have to consider that when, when thinking about these guys developmentally. Um, the next guy that we have to talk about as a shooter is, is Evan Mobley, um, There's a lot to to work with there as a shooter, even if he's not necessarily um, a great shooter right now. But beyond the just like hitting spot ups and pick and pop jumpers that he's already doing to an extent, PD, what are you doing to turn Evan Mobley into a off the dribble pull up threat?
3: Uh, Encouraging that he take more of them. Uh, He took 32 during the USC season and was in the 78th percentile for those, grading out at point nine points per possession, uh, which is this roughly the same as what he shot from three. Um, yeah, if you, I, like, this, he needs to get a lot of this stuff. That's the only thing I could suggest. Like the, the jumper has extreme translatability because of how high the release point is. So I just, I don't see a, I would just try to get some of those like 17 footers that he likes a little bit too much for my taste just to be pull-up threes. Um, and in a lot of ways you can look at the, at the mid-range success and say like, okay, this is proof of concept of his ability to, to stretch the range out further. It's something we've seen historically for guys who self-create mid-range jumpers is that it is an indicator of the ability to potentially shoot, um, pull-ups off the, uh, from, M- from the NBA line, uh, getting him in, in five out actions where he's, uh, encouraged to take a step towards the line and, and pull getting him to bring the ball up and semi-transition, giving him DHO keepers that he can shoot, just running every emotion, running every action through him as a rookie and just say, like, look, you're going to make mistakes, but these are the shots that we would really like it if you took. I don't think that there's that much more that he has to adjust with his his form other than putting on leg strength, which is a thing that basically every 19-year-old, 20-year-old big man has to do anyway. Uh, Yeah, I would be surprised if he doesn't take a solid amount. Um, If anything, my worry is that he'll have, like, a weird KG uh, uh, Rasheed Wallace thing about loving the twenty footer, but not taking yeah. threes. But like that, if we're at that point of consideration, like we're already talking about something that's very special. Yeah, that, that's
1: definitely true. um So you, so you think it's it's a matter of just like in game reps in a lot of different situations, and kind. Of, I mean, kind of back to the Huck Portier conversation, I guess, just letting him do or forcing him to do
3: things. I would say uh, forcing is a bit strong. I would say uh, building a an offensive infrastructure where it is encouraged, if not like what basically to build a system where the defense is going to give him that shot and say like it'd be wonderful mm-hmm. if you did this. Like that's very easily <laughs> to do. That's very easy to do with DHOs where you get the guard downhill and the big is automatically going to sag. And it's like wow, if you turn and take a jumper, like that'd be swell. That's that's a pretty th- easy thing to do in terms of overlapping your player development and your. Uh, your X's and O's on a night of night of in and encouraging the shots that you want. Uh, um, I think a lot of shot selection conversations don't touch on the X's and O's player development aspect, where it's like, if you want a guy to have good shots off the dribble, you build a system where it's really hard to take bad shots off the dribble, um, which is pretty easy to do. It just requires uh, a more intelligent design of offensive concepts. And I think with Mobley and his strengths and weaknesses, it's very easy to set about a system where you can leverage his passing, his, his comfort in space. And then, you know, when teams sag off of him to prevent him from long limbing into, into the restricted area, it's like, hey, eh, take that three every once in a while. Not every time. You don't have to suddenly turn into staff, but like just take the ones that'll make them come out a little bit more.
2: Yeah. One thing I'll ask you about, PD, I'm relatively confident in the actual mechanics translating and being functional off the bounce, off semi movement. But one thing I will ask you about is like sometimes with wiring with Mobley, it's not the most aggressive score, score first big man or even off- offensive engine. But we've seen him pass up some catch and shoot threes throughout the year and just not always, like it's kind of whether he takes or not, is whether he's in the mood to take them or not. Um, How do you see that kind of progressing at the next level and how realistic is it to maybe even like turn the corner on him becoming an aggressor as a scorer?
3: Um, I think with that stuff, it's difficult because like what we label aggressiveness is not always how players internally, um, like every player has their own idea of how much they should shoot or like what the offense requires. Or, you know, sometimes you'll ask them like, Hey, why didn't you take this catch and shoot three? And they're like, Oh, we were trying to run this play or whatever. I think with Mobley, um, I think that his, he's like overthinks games at times where he's trying to let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, it's not uh, like one-to-one with Scotty, but like they're clearly processing the game rather than just like being like, oh, this is a good look, I'll take it. Um, and in the NBA where those perfect looks rarely happen, guys have to settle into being like very good is, the, is often the best we'll get on this time down. So take it. I also think seeing guys who are of the same position that lack some of his skills, getting like tons of threes up. It's just one of those things, it's like, oh, no one's gonna yell here. No one's gonna say like, get my big ass into the post. Like if I shoot eight threes per game, no one's gonna be upset because there's some, you know, six foot 11 dude out here taking 12 for 36 or whatever.
5: This is it, we've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs)
1: I think the shooting maybe is less tied to these ceiling outcomes and maybe more, more uh, necessary. Um, Sharif Cooper, uh, PD, how how are you rebuilding or building uh, from the ground up? Sharif Cooper's jumper.
3: Um, I think before we talk about building from the ground up, we kind of need to talk about like what's happening. Cause it's, there's a lot of stuff going on with this jumper um the first thing that, that jumps out to me is that he shoots with a like a backwards tilt so if you were to sort of uh, imagine his jumper like he's leaning i'd say like 10 degrees backwards from each time he shoots and that has a knock-on effect of uh his his elbow angle is collapsed he he can shoot with sort of like an upper upper arm catapult um his gather points kind of strange out of the the uh out of uh, off the dribble shooting and do, I think do you big, think that all that came from like compensating for
1: his size, or like where do you think that came from?
3: Often it does. Like often it's, it's just like something works well enough and they're comfortable with it. And again, it goes back to like when do you think the last time Sheree Cooper wasn't supposed to win a basketball game was? Like oh, man, that's that. a good question. So like if you're if you've always been evaluated, if you're a kid who's a winner at like age thirteen, when are you supposed to rebuild that jumper? That's a yeah. That's a really good point.
1: Um, so.
3: That's, I find an often circumstance for guys, especially like of his mold who have been good forever, is that like, there wasn't a natural point where basketball was off to, to you know, take the president all the way down to zero, build it from scratch. Um, even a guy like Steph had to do it between, you know, a summer where he took off at AU and, and rebuilt his jumper from a two, uh, a two motion to, to the one motion. Um, I think that the, the most important thing for me is that it's really laborious. Um, it yeah. takes him a long time to get from the decision to shoot to the release. And of all the things, like it's not the two motion, it's not the gather point, the laboriousness is, is the enemy to me, because it feels like he's aiming every single shot. Um, I think that the most important thing is, is is getting the thinking out of the jumper and the aiming out of the jumper, and just to get it from, from the decision to shoot to a release point as quick as possible, whether that's through a two motion jumper, through a one motion jumper, through aiming the points, to me, is not particularly important. It's about just saying, like, look, you can throw a left-handed push pass with weight, like, with basically, like, it's, he, he throws lobs that, like, I can only compare to, like, Sesk Fabregas, where it's just, like, it's the perfect ball that, like, lofts. And, like, you don't, when he throws it, sometimes you don't see the person he's throwing it to because they haven't even started jumping yet. Where it's like, the ball takes a second for you to process what he is seeing. And sometimes the other person's like, oh, that's a lob for me. And they have to, to go get it. <laughs> Somebody with that level of touch, like I refuse to believe, can't shoot. And so I would just like to have, be like, hey, look, as easily as you throw that pass, I'd like you to shoot basketball. So that to me is the long-term goal and everything else is sort of extraneous to like how you believe shooting should work.
1: So, so in the short term, what do you think the play? I mean, it's if you're removing the issue of trying to win games, because I do think that's a really valid point. Um, I mean, Sharif is obviously famously involved in that however many years Isaac Cora went without losing a game, you know, Sharif. Went the same number um he uh like do you think it's just like drop him in the g league and then the rebuild can start or, or what
3: uh i would start the rebuild now um i this is sort of a divisive concept between uh between you know people but like do you rebuild with the ideas from uh you know the pre-draft trainer do you rebuild with the ideas that you have from somebody else like obviously the coopers aren't a, a, a different sort of circumstance because i like, if tia uh um, that his dad is an agent. Like this is a, a family of basketball royalty. So this isn't like, well, oh, we'll trust, you know, whoever we we hire to to do the you know the the spring and summer work. Uh this is more a you know, a, a long-term basketball family that has their own ideas about the game. So I think that like I would trust them more long term than I think other people in terms of the making the best decision about the jumper. Uh I generally lean to like the person should make the choice if possible. Um the first thing I would do is just uh getting get that out of one motion um that that seems the easiest just to reinforce some of the other points because it's really hard to shoot a one motion shot cross body like i don't know if you guys have ever tried to do that or you're just like experimenting with different jumpers the same way that like i know baseball players try to mimic each other's swings i had a i had a friend who shot cross body in one motion and it was the hardest thing to clone because my elbow like would go completely sideways and then the hand is like on the side of the ball and i, I don't know how he did it but it was just like an evil thing to try to like make jumpers with <laughs> So I think that if you did that with Shuri, you'd move the, you know, you naturally move the shooting pocket a little bit to the right, you know, you get the the gather point um, a little bit easier, and then the process like it would ter- it would solve the tilt problem long term. I feel pretty good about his ability to iron it out to passable, just because like so much is weird, and he's still not like awful. But that's something that bears mentioned. Like I think for a smaller guy, he has one of the more difficult shots to get off, and it's still not horrendous. Um, I think that getting a leg strength lowering uh, the point where he generates his power from there's there's a lot of stuff that tells me he's not going to be like a bad
2: shooter long term. So, Petey, you kind of hit the nail on the question I was going to ask, which is basically the fact that he's in no man's land right now with these mechanics um, in terms of what we typically see from small guards. You know, sometimes it's the Carson Edwards shot, which is this high elevating two motion jumper that generates a ton of power from the lower body, or you get the Steph mechanics which is this obviously not anyone or no one looks like that other than Steph but this fluid one motion jumper that it all just you're shooting on the way up and it all rises up as one and that's how you get your power versus Cooper he doesn't get a ton of elevation from his legs and it's two motion so he's kind of taking the tougher parts from each end of the spectrum if that makes sense I personally agree with you that I think getting it down to one motion for him would make it quicker. It would speed the whole thing up. It would make him more on balance and which would hopefully lead to better results. But what would your first point of action be? Because as we've all said, there's kind of a lot going on here. And just from a player dev- development standpoint, I'm curious for your your point of view, what would like the first course of action be in terms of getting this to the final product?
3: I mean, if we were just trying to, like, I guess if we were trying to just, like, get passable as quick as possible, like, if, if for whatever reason we're, like, in a rush rebuild or we have to win a shooting contest in two weeks or whatever, getting him on balance where he's not shooting from this, like, backwards tilt seems, like, the most obvious thing. Uh, to me, that's the biggest remnant. It's not the two motion, it's the weird tilt that reminds me of, the, like, this was probably a jumper built when he was, like, 12 or 13, like, the last time that he wasn't in serious competition. Obviously, adjustments have been made. I mean, like, it's a different jumper than what you saw his junior year of high school, but that to me seems like the lowest hanging fruit. I don't know if you would start with that developmentally, just like on, thinking on process, but it's the thing that I think that has the ease, has the highest rate of return of any single aspect of the jumper itself.
1: I think that's probably good for, for shooting and for part one of this, um, unless you guys have anything to add, uh, I think we could probably call this part one and then get started on part two
2: yeah it go with me
1: all right so you can follow the pod at prep2propod on twitter you can follow jake at jake in the paint me at max a carlin pd at above the break three uh pd anything to plug
3: yeah um if you guys have any time on april 14th at 9 p.m um, i'm hosting a twitch stream called how to watch film where uh we are attempting to stream a full game of Josh Gittes, uh and show how to, how I break down film, what I'm seeing. Uh, involves some uh, some diagrams, some telestration, a lot of stats, a lot of re rocked uh, film. And it's going to be a nice, you know, 45 minute endeavor with a good 10 to 15 minute QA afterwards. I would really appreciate everybody coming by if possible, me and a guest. Be a good time.
1: That is going to be a fun time. Uh, and definitely looking forward to it. Uh, and with that i think think we can call this part 1